0: Mic check one two one two. Mike check one two one two I'm back. Let's say sign and of podcast. Let's go. Mike check one two one two. Let me turn this off, pre-gaming. Mic check, one, two, one, two. Mic check, one, two, one, two. Y'all know how I do, pre-gaming. Back for another episode, a Taste to Consider podcast. New calendar year, new season. Let's go. Good to be back with y'all. It's been a minute. Let me start off this episode paying tribute to the great Bob Marley. Today is his birthday. Today is February 6th. He was born February 6, 1945. Let me just hit shuffle and get this song going. Whatever song comes up. For the great Bob Marley, happy birthday! Ah, uh, sounds so good, don't you agree? Taste <laughs> to the podcast.
1: The philosophy which hold one race superior and another inferior is finally
0: and permanently. This is the great Bob Marley, the song is war
1: and abundant, well everywhere is war.
0: Uh-huh. Speaking the truth.
1: Until the color of a mansion is of no more significance to the color of his eyes. I've got to say
0: war. Uh.
1: Until the basic human rights are equally guaranteed to all without regard to race. It's your war.
0: Taste in the to the parcades. Happy birthday to the great Bob Marley. Happy Birthday to the Late Great, Bob Marley. So significant that I hit Shuffle when this song popped up. War. Shoot, as a black man, that's all all we know is war. (laughs) War within ourselves, war within our community, war with the police, war with the government. Black people, that's all we know is war. It is. Black History Month So Gotta be blackity black (laughs) Oh man We all fighting some type of war War within ourselves War with a In some type of relationship Romantic Platonic Work Some type of war War with the government Shoot war All over, taste to consider podcast. Let's start the show once again. Happy birthday to Bob Marley. And that song again is War. Let's start the show. It's a taste to Consider Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Silver, and I'm back. Like I said, new calendar year, new season, season three, episode one. Let's go. Huh. Ah, where do I begin? I guess where I where I normally begin. <laughs> With what I'm drinking, what I'm smoking. Um I am smoking a Macanudo cigar. I seem to always somehow get one of these cigars. There's so many varieties of them. This one's pretty cool. Um, It's a Macanudo. um, What the hell? What type of Macanudo is this? Um, It's not on the wrapper. It must have been on the case that it was in. But um, it's pretty good. Um, It don't have a strong aftertaste. (sighs) Yeah, it's pretty mild, pretty good. Um, And I'm drinking, I just picked this up tonight. Um, I went to the liquor store trying to find a, a new whiskey and I found this one. It's called uh, Larceny. Larceny, L-A-R-C-E-N-Y, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. And I wasn't sure because it was only it only cost twenty three dollars a fifth. Um, it's ninety two proof, forty six percent alcohol volume. It's a small batch, wheated bourbon mash bill. Um, this this is actually a real good. Um, this is a real good whiskey. I'm I'm very shocked. <laughs> I'm very shocked at how how good this whiskey is. Um, <laughs> but it's very good. Um, it's real smooth. It's not strong, it's, it's very smooth, it's, it's real smooth. Um, it has a sweet aftertaste. This is probably one of the best whiskeys I've had, honestly. And I've bought whiskies that have been way more expensive in price than this. Um, but this one is real good. It is, I'm, I'm very shocked at how good this is. Um, when I was pre gaming and I was sipping sipping on it, I was just thinking to myself, I was like, damn, I need to go buy a few more bottles of these because this is real good. And I don't want to, I want to make sure that I stack up on some good whiskey when I find it. And I don't want to be searching for the good whiskey when I want it or the whiskey that I prefer and I can't find it. Um, yeah, so this one is real good. And a fifth of it costs $23 at the liquor store. Um, this one, yeah, this whiskey is real good. <laughs> and I'm very shocked at how good this whiskey is. Oh, man. But let's get to the show. This this show right here is is titled Political Theater. Political Theater. And I'm going to start off with a quote. A quote. This quote is from uh, William Shakespeare. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. That's deep right there. That's that's a very deep uh, quote right there. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. And that resonated with me so much with everything that's been going on since this uh since this new calendar year has started. Um and I know it's been a minute since I've met with y'all, and if y'all like deep into po- <clears throat> excuse me, podcasts. And you probably already heard certain conversations already about all the stuff that's been going on since the new calendar year started with the inauguration and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, time it's time to get a taste of my perspective. And that's what my podcast is all about, you know, um, honestly... I was thinking over, you know, the time that I, I was taking my break um, from season two and reflecting on my podcast and when I first had the idea of my podcast over three years ago, um, probably f- pretty much four years ago when I had the idea of my podcast and what I in the direction that I wanted to go and how I was looking at it as solely. I wanted to be all about uh, strictly mental health. Um, and then as I was going along developing my podcast, trying to figure out the perfect name for the podcast and how it resonated with with everything that I wanted to talk about. Because uh, uh, originally, like um, when I was first thinking about the podcast and I was thinking about a name for it and stuff like that, I was like, I'm going to call the podcast Just Consider. Just consider podcast. I I built the logo for it and everything. And but it just wasn't feeling right. Like that title wasn't feeling right to me. And at that time I just, you know, was coming up with uh, where I was just getting into cigars and stuff like that. And, you know, when I was doing a lot of research on cigars, watching a lot of videos. And Looking at whiskey and stuff like that, uh, what to drink with cigars and stuff, you know, they always talk about uh, taste, taste, taste. <clears throat> and I was just thinking to myself, you know, uh, taste, 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 you know, anytime that you, you trying to get it, you know, anytime you want to get a taste of something, you know, um, well, anytime you want to try to figure out if you like something, you got to taste it. You got to get a taste of it, whether it's... Um, Tasting it with your tongue, tasting it with your ears, getting the taste of it with your eyes, you know, with your fingers—all senses deal with with that. It it correlates with getting a taste of something. And I was just like, you know, I'm the type of person where I have views on everything. I've been, I've always been into everything. I've always questioned everything. I've always researched everything. So I just felt like that, you know. Everything about me was a taste, you know in order to get my views to get into my personality um to look at me uh physically all that is a taste that's a that 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 that's that embodies me a taste I am a taste so recently we recorded on the unproductive and unapologetic podcast um if we recorded shit. A couple of weeks ago, and there's been a minute since we recorded, so check that out. And my intro on there was the taste. I am the taste. I am the taste. So, and if anybody who's been following me, following my blog, greatestiamblog.com, you know, I'm, I'm heavy into I am. You know, as they say, I am is the two powerful words you can ever say because it, you know, creates your reality. And I am the taste, that's how I look at it. I am the taste. You know, there's so many things to me that you have to get a taste for. And this podcast embodies everything that I am that deals with a taste. I am a taste. So, as I was saying, the evolution of my podcast, you know, first I wanted to be all about mental health, basically the, the, the mental aspect of it, but, you know, as it evolved and I started developing it more and just thinking about who I am as a person, you know, I'm more than just, what I want to talk about and my views are, is much more than just mental health. And like I've already spoken about plenty of times before, I feel as though everything starts from our mental. You know, um, I had to relight my cigar. Everything starts from our mental, and in previous episodes, I've talked a lot about uh, the Willie Lynch syndrome and and how that affects the the so-called black community so much and just that one aspect I feel affects the so-called black community so much. Just that that one thing, the Willie Lynch syndrome, affects us so much. Still to this day. So like last last season, season two, I never expected the podcast to evolve into being so political, being so blackety black, <laughs> as I as I say, um, but I had to roll with it, you know. Um, but when it comes down to it, it still comes from our mental aspect, you know. Everything starts from our mind, and it it, it you know, uh, domi- We have a domino effect from our mind to our bodies to the things that we speak and. The things that we manifest and all that. So it's just <clears throat> I was surprised that season two being going the way that it was going. And in turn, um, I would have moments of frustration because I had so many things planned for the podcast, so many episodes, so many topics planned for the podcast that I didn't get to last season because of everything that was going on in the world and you know, I'm on season three now based off the calendar year, but it will be three years of the podcast in June. June of 2021. And I'm not gonna lie, I was honestly getting a little frustrated, discouraged, because um I I know I know based off of some of the feedback that I've gotten and just how uh the the audience that I mostly appeal to, which is the black community, black people, and how a lot of them don't want to hear that blackity black talk all the time. But that's where the podcast evolved to on season two. And I felt as though, you know, sort of how when um, with uh, Unproductive and Unapologetic, You know, uh, you you do something for a while and you don't get certain recognition and you have an idea idea of where you want to be, you want to be more mainstream, you want to get more accolades, you want to get more followers, you want to get more listeners and stuff like that. And I don't feel that I'm where I should be with this podcast, not because of me, but because of how the podcast evolved and just... Um, my expectations of doing something for a certain amount of time and feeling that you should have a certain type of growth so as I said I'm in season 3 in June it will be 3 years of the podcast and then seeing how unproductive and unapologetic podcast went because we started that podcast first even though I had my development for this podcast even before that like we haven't like I said we just recorded in a couple of weeks ago and that was so long ago based on when the last time we recorded like in September of 2020 you know and especially when you're dealing in when you have a group dynamic and you got so many personalities you got egos and stuff and some people don't may not have the same Uh, drive the same ambitions the same priorities for group um, situations as they do with individual situations so I've definitely learned a lot working with a group and seeing how when people get their own how they uh, react or how they the effort the energy that they put into those situations and it it kind of t- took me aback for a moment to the point where I had to take a step back even from friendships within the group because I felt kind of um, betrayed, so to speak. I guess that word is probably too harsh, but I, I just kind of felt like, I don't know. It, it's it's kind of hard to explain, and I'm surprised I'm even talk about it, talking about it now because it was something that I didn't think that I would ever talk about on this podcast because Um, I didn't want to give it that much energy because I just feel like, you know, I'm the type of person when things happen that, you know, you just let it, you just let it go the way that it goes and see how it pans out. But we all humans, so things affect us. So it did affect me how, uh, our group podcast, um, basically broke up and like I've talked about, I think it was last episode of season two or or the episode before that, when I talked about how we the new edition of podcast, <laughs> so everybody have jumped have jumped off and did their own thing, and and it's kind of interesting the way how certain people move within their own dynamics, and it kind of you know made me look at people differently, and it kind of made me look at myself differently, and how I should handle my my business, and my podcast, and certain things like that, so I had to take a step back to reflect a lot, to see how I should handle situations in the future, um, yeah, that's the beauty of podcasts, you just, you just start talking, and you just go way off topic, but yeah, but uh, I kind of contemplated whether, you know, I was going to make this my last season, season three, my last season, well, I ain't going to, let me let me rewind. No, I was honestly contemplating whether I was going to even record season three. <laughs> honestly. Because I was just kind of like... Um, my energy was kind of like... Uh, I want to say depleted. I want to say depleted. My energy was depleted. I, I was kind of uninspired in the moment. And even with me recording with... Uh, the UNU Podcast With our new episode a couple of weeks The only reason I recorded Was because we was hanging out But I was really uninspired as well um, In that moment um, Like it took me a minute To get this episode together I knew I knew uh, what I wanted to talk about uh, Had it all written down And everything Had it in my head How I wanted to go and everything But it was just about getting up And actually doing it <laughs> But, um, yeah. That's my vulnerable moment. That's my little, uh, I guess my little rant. <laughs> but, um, <sighs> take a sip again. Man, that, um, this whiskey is really good. I'm not going to lie. This whiskey is really good. Yeah, so. Rest in peace to uh, Cicely Tyson, John Chaney, uh, the basketball coach from Temple University. Uh, Cicely Tyson, we all know her, the actress, the, the great actress, 96 years old. Uh, rest in peace to Hank Aaron, rest in peace to Larry King. And I know it has been a few other deaths, deaths since um, the last time I spoke with you and particularly since uh, this new calendar year started. Um, Even today, um, the boxer, Larry Spinks, he passed from his battle with cancer. Excuse me. Burp number one. Excuse me. Burp number two. Starting off the new season early with the burps. But, um, yeah. Rest in peace to those... And to those... um, to those individuals and it's kind of um kind of significant with those those people I guess that's why I only wrote those names down. those are the names that I actually uh thought about when I was writing writing down my outline I mean we know how great Cicely Tyson was and um John Chaney of course um he was just a great basketball coach uh a uh, black African, uh, black coach uh, for Temple University. Um, of course, Hank Aaron, we know he was great for his uh, breaking uh, Babe Ruth's home run record. And Larry King, the reason I, I thought about Larry King so much, cause I remember him, watching him when I was younger and i remember how he just didn't he was like the the a true journalist like he wasn't with that he wasn't like the people that we have today with mainstream media who who have their own their agendas or get pushed to pushed uh, an agenda pushed on them to portray to the public so um i thought larry king he definitely stood out in my mind um, rest in peace to those individuals. But it was a, a, um Cicely Tyson. Right before she died, she did an interview on uh, CBS Morning, and she was just what she said. This this clip that I'm about to play was just was powerful to me. Um, it just it hit me so much. And I'm gonna play that clip for you. Here we go. Time
2: um... comes. What do you want? When the time comes, what do you want us to remember about you? I've
1: done my best. That's all.
0: I thought that was a a powerful thing for someone with with her uh, with her accomplishments, her stature. She wasn't boasting or anything like that. She wasn't arrogant about anything. She was just saying, you know, I just want people to remember me that I. I did my best, and I guess that's, that's something that I could reflect on with all everything that I talked about when it came to my podcast, um, you know, one of the things when I first started my individual podcast was I said to myself I wasn't going to worry, I wasn't going to check my numbers, I wasn't going to worry about my numbers or anything like that. You know, this was just about me doing something that I enjoyed and um, being able to speak my opinion and give, you know, give some truths out there. You know, it's it's up to everybody else who listens what it's going to be. But, you know, in this, the way society is today and the way people are when it comes to um, being creative and having your um, creative endeavors is everything has to be monetized. And I remember when I first started my blog, I started my blog back in um, 2016. And I remember people were asking me, um, are you making money off of it? And all this other stuff. And it it irritated me so much because I was thinking to myself like, I'm not concerned about making money off of my blog. My blog is centered around mental health and my story um, and my experiences with mental health. So I don't care about making money off of it because I'm trying to help people. And in turn, I'm helping myself, you know, I'm healing from speaking my truth. releasing certain aspects of the experiences that I've gone through when it comes to depression and anxiety. So I'm not focused on on money. And the way society is today, the narrative is you have to monetize your creative processes. And although I agree with that to a certain extent, when it comes to my blog, I don't I'm not concerned about making money off of my blog because of... And just just all of the feedback and the conversations that I have and some of the um, doors that have opened from my blog, that was way more rewarding to me than money was. Um, The speaking engagements that I've had, um, the writing aspect of it, Practicing my writing, perfecting my writing, my own style, uh, like I said, releasing things that I've held on to for so long, helping people, people contacting me and seeing how it, it helped them go to therapy or it helped them to speak to someone about the things that they was going on or just to see a black man doing this, you know, that, that was way more rewarding. And... When it comes to the podcast, you know, like I said, I enjoy it. I went to, I went to uh, college for communications, concentration was in broadcasting. Um, I wanted to be on the radio. Um, I've had, I have experience um, with radio, I have experience with uh, TV production. And sure, you would love to be making money off of something that you enjoy. But sometimes you have to start from the bottom. And that's that's where that's where the the battle comes from with me at times when I um, when I see other people doing podcasts or doing blogs and stuff, especially particularly people who started out in the mental health uh, arena the same time that I did, and I see them totally in a different space than I am now. They're way, way higher than I am. And that has definitely affected me that has gotten to me at times and it's interesting because you know I would see some of those people that was only doing it for the attention as opposed to actually helping people and it did it would frustrate me when I would see uh, celebrities just pop out of nowhere and start talking about mental health when I've been on the ground for a while. And, you know, they just get so many accolades and so much attention and stuff off of it. I'm not going to lie. It would frustrate me. It would frustrate me. But, um... yeah like I said it will frustrate me so I'm not gonna lie about that that's that's me being straight up vulnerable and <laughs> I will never lie about lie about my vulnerability um I rather get the stuff out you know so I won't hold on to it and be festering over it um and it only it only makes me stronger by letting it out and healing from it but yeah like I said. We've been in a we're in a new calendar year now. Um, We've had so many uh, people passing away since the new calendar year started, and of course, you know on social media you'll see people you know uh, speaking about it and you know feeling down about it and stuff like that. And that's that's just all based off the trauma from 2020. You know, 2020 was a difficult year for a lot of people and. And from the start of 2020, we had so much trauma when it came to uh, Kobe. We recently had the anniversary of Kobe's passing and, you know, just the pandemic, people uh, passing uh, from the the COVID and stuff like that. There's so much stuff going on. So, of course, that, you know, this year would... Once we see people passing away, particularly celebrities and stuff like that, people in the uh, limelight, that we will relate it to last year, and we will connect to, we will connect it to last year and start feeling as though, oh man, this year is starting off just like uh, 2020 started off. But we can't have that outlook. I know, you know, it's it's easy to just jump that, jump in that lane, but we can't have that outlook because. Regardless, before we were sitting in the house, before 2020 started, people was passing away. You know, um, we got to try to keep a positive outlook and and change the narrative, change the energy of this new calendar year uh, from what we went through in in 2020. And I know that's easier said than done, particularly for the simple fact that we're still sitting in the house, we're still dealing with the pandemic, people are still struggling uh financially um people are still struggling with unemployment um people are still passing from the pandemic uh it's still a lot of stress and stuff going on out there um so i definitely understand but we have to try our best to just you know try to change the narrative in our minds and as i say everything starts with the mind but well, um I guess a few years ago, uh, I stopped getting caught up into resolutions and stuff like that once a new calendar year started, because when it comes to time, time is, is, is you know, we just have to focus on the present moment. Um, st- we shouldn't wait to start doing stuff uh, just because we're in a new calendar year. And this is coming from a glorified, uh, lazy <laughs> a lazy person part of that being because of my past depression and getting into getting caught up into habits from that depression and me just being lazy <laughs> and to a degree spoiled I mean I'm not gonna lie about that um, I feel like we all spoiled to a certain degree <laughs> um, but I felt like this new calendar year based off of my my reflections and um the growth that I've I've been experiencing the healing that I've be, been experiencing that this year I have to focus more on being intentional with the things that I do cuz we all to some degree have routines and routines are cool you know But you can fall, it's easily, it's very easy to fall off of routines If you don't have any type of intention with those routines, with the things that you do And, excuse me I've had plenty of routines, excuse me, over the years Workout routines, spiritual routines uh routines how I gone through my work day, et cetera, et cetera. Routines with my meditation and routines with my prayer life, routines with uh affirmations, routines with my uh relationships, routines with my um shit, everything, you know. Think about it. Everything in your life is based off a of routine, even if you even if you so caught up into the routine you don't realize it's a routine. And I say to myself that I have to challenge myself to be more intentional with the things that I do. So just because I have a routine that I meditate every day, that, you know, I have to be intentional with those meditations. I have to be intentional with the times that I say my affirmations. I have to be intentional with the times that I say prayer. So I can't get caught up into making sure that I do it every day just to be doing it. You know, so I've been focusing on being very intentional with the things that I do. And because this is something new that I've been doing, of course, you know, I'll um, it would be something difficult for me to, you know, keep up off the break. So I'm trying to be very... Root- very intentional about my meditation. So I haven't been meditating every day, but I make sure when I do meditate that I'm very intentional about why I'm meditating and what I'm meditating on, what I'm praying about, what I'm um, praying for. Um, intentional when I cook, intentional when I work out, um, intentional when um, I'm just sitting around the house because you know I'm still working from home. I'm still teleworking. Shoot, I've been teleworking for a year, so I have to be very intentional about how I spend my days in the house, you know, because it's, it's very little to do right now with it being winter time and things, everything not being open and stuff. So I have to be very intentional about how I do things. So, for example, when I'm teleworking and I'm usually upstairs in my living room doing, you know, doing my work and stuff. So, once I'm finished with my workday, I'm very intentional about uh working out right after I log off my computer. And even on the days when I have a rest, I'm very intentional about going downstairs in my basement, changing up my scenery and, you know, watching a movie or something like that or um Reading or meditating or something like that. I have to be very intentional about about the things that I'm doing because b- getting stuck into those routines, particularly for me, I've noticed that they they will push me to they will push me into the habits that I was uh, I was doing when um, I was suffering from depression or I was suffering from anxiety and they will get me in the a mind frame of being uninspired of not wanting to record the podcast or not wanting to write or not wanting to work out or not wanting to read one of the books that I that I I just bought you know something like that and that's one of the things that I'm 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 focused on for this new calendar year and some days you know I'm on point and some days I'm not I'm not going to lie but I'm making it a point of of that being a goal of mine, and you know I can't say that everybody should do that, but just you know it's just a thought and just me you know being vulnerable again and sharing that um and one of the one of the things definitely that I was intentional about um the start of the new calendar year and even a cup even a few days before the calendar year started was um. I got off of um, Instagram. I got off Instagram because I noticed that, and this has been off and on through the years, that I've noticed how the energy of Instagram just wasn't right with me. It didn't, it didn't go with the things that I wanted to be intentional about. Um, I feel as though Instagram is, is, is very low vibrational. I feel like the energy with with Instagram is very low vibrational because for the simple fact that I feel like um, the energy throughout Instagram is is that um, it's all about insecurities. Uh, everybody is on there wanting to impress somebody or prove something to somebody. Um, you're trying to find your worth on Instagram. Um, posting pictures, posting where you're going, what trips you want, and stuff like that, and it was really affecting my my energy, <clears throat> and it was kind of fueling insecurities that I have or stuff that I was working on while I was in therapy and stuff that I haven't started working on yet, and I feel like Instagram is just for the world, you know, it's kind of is like. For example, like um, <laughs> you know how when when uh, religious people talk about conforming to the world and stuff like that, I feel like Instagram is more about conforming to the world. You're you're trying to impress people. You're trying to be seen. You're trying to feed insecurities and stuff like that. And the energy in Instagram was triggering me. It was triggering me uh, off and on. And I just said to myself, I gotta get, I gotta get the fuck off of Instagram <laughs> because um, how I've been moving and how how where I wanted to be is more mental as opposed to physical, and where we are in, uh, when it comes to uh, the energy and the planets and stuff like that and all that stuff. And y'all know I get into that. <laughs> But I'm not going to explain all of that now. But where we are now is, you know, um, things are start are going to start moving into the mental aspect of the world. Truths, um, you know, um, who you really are as a person, as opposed to the physical aspect of what we used to be in. And I feel like Instagram was just was just getting in the way of my growth. So to speak. So I have gotten on. So I was off on Instagram for like uh, two two months, and um, I recently got back on it, and I got back on it to promote, uh, start promoting for this podcast episode. And I'm not saying that I'm completely done with Instagram because when it comes down to it, Instagram has it has its benefits when it comes to me. Um, Promoting my podcast, promoting my blog, and my future endeavors that I ha- that I'm I'm working on right now. So it has, it has its um its benefits, but the overall energy of it it just doesn't go with where I want to be and where I'm headed. And. I feel like if I stay caught up into Instagram that it will revert me back to where I was as far as insecurities, my low self-esteem and stuff like that because that's pretty much what Instagram is all about right now. The energy of it is. Um, but I had I definitely have been heavy on Twitter uh, when I was taking my break from Instagram. Um, and the reason for that is because... Even though I feel like all social media is the same to a degree, Um, at some point and to some degree people are looking for attention, but I feel like with Instagram, um, I mean, sorry, Twitter, that I'm able to just connect with people's uh, minds and what they're thinking and I'm also able to uh, release certain things that I'm thinking and kind of be myself a little bit more without feeling like I have to worry about judgment and stuff like that based off of the physical. You know, people can connect more with your mind if you're being authentic on Twitter as opposed to you being authentic, authentic on Instagram because everything on Instagram is about physical appearance as far as facebook i've been let facebook go i mean i was on facebook when facebook first started when you the only way you could be on facebook is if you was a college student <laughs> so yeah i definitely been let facebook go but um yeah that's basically like during the moment when i was chilling with taking my my break from season 2 of the podcast and contemplating about season 3 and reflecting on um certain insecurities and stuff like that. I wasn't heavy on Instagram and, and all that. So right now uh the focus uh pretty much on Instagram is just to promote the endeavors that I'm I'm working on, um any creative type things like that. But I I thoroughly enjoy Twitter and I I started Twitter back in I think it was um Shoot, let me see, Uh, let me pull pull it up, yeah I created, I joined Twitter back in 2013 but I wasn't like on there, on there, but um, now I'm on there and I'm not worried about followers or worried about judgment about how I look and stuff like that or if what trips I'm going on and all that or comparing myself to what everybody else doing. Now it's just all about connecting to people's point of views and minds and stuff. I follow people I don't agree with. I follow people that I do agree with, and I'm able to, you know, speak certain truths. I'm on it. Basically, I'm able to be my true self, my true authentic self based off of my personality. Um yeah, so <clears throat> Let's uh get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. I know I've been talking a lot about, you know, um I've just been I've just been going on, but that that's cool. <laughs> Cause this is definitely one playing. Certain things that I've talked about were topics on the um on my outline, but I, I rambled a little bit. So so, yeah, um, meat and potatoes of the show. So, yeah, like I said, it's been a minute since I recorded and, you know, a lot of stuff is going on, particularly the inauguration. So I'm going to start off with a clip. Start off with a clip. Um, here we go. <laughs> I'm laughing at the clip already. All right, let me let me get this up.
3: If you send John and the Reverend to Washington, Those $2,000 checks will go out the door. We will be able to pass $2,000 stimulus checks for the people next week. We'll deliver the $2,000 stimulus checks. And that begins with the $2,000 stimulus. When you send me and Reverend Warnock to the Senate, we will pass those $2,000 stimulus checks. You send me and Reverend Warnock to the Senate, we will pass those $2,000 stimulus checks. They will make decisions about whether we give people a $2,000 check.
4: We need to pass $2,000 stimulus checks for the people. For getting people that $2,000 in relief, direct payment. Congress should pass $2,000 checks. President-elect Biden and Democrats are all pushing for $2,000 relief checks.
0: $2,000 stimulus checks. $2,000 relief
4: checks. $2,000 relief checks. They should send $2,000 checks to the American people right now. Supporting $2,000 relief payments right now. We need to be passing the
3: $2,000 stimulus relief checks.
4: That means we need John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock who will go to D.C. to ensure the $2,000 checks. You see ads that say, want your $2,000 stimulus check? Vote Democrat. Vote for Warnock. ...stimulus check. is trying to increase it to 2000 Well, I actually have a bill for that.
3: <laughs> One of the first things that I want to do when our new senators are seated is deliver the $2,000 checks to the American families.
4: And the debate over $2,000 this is some abstract debate. $2,000 checks, so kind of actually $1,400 checks. By electing John and a Reverend, we'll put an end to the block in Washington on that $2,000 stimulus check. Ten moderate Republicans want a seat at the table to pitch a slim down relief proposal. That money that will go out the door immediately. What they might be willing to do is negotiate on those stimulus checks. How can you assure Americans that relief will come and come soon? have you ever known anyone in the history of the united states of america that could be president and assure exactly what the congress is going to do that money that will go out the door immediately and that's not
0: hyperbole that's real where the motherfucking checks <laughs> where the motherfucking checks at lying asses all of them lying asses y'all know man y'all know how i feel about this shit. um Political and all this, and let me start off by saying this, man. I ain't no Trump supporter, cause I know people been feeling like that, cause of some of the ep- past episodes in season two. I ain't no Trump supporter. I ain't no Biden supporter. I ain't none of them motherfucking supporter. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm for the truth, and I'm for for fairness. And none of them motherfuckers be telling the truth, and none of them is fair. Where the motherfucking checks? Shit, just today, they talk, Biden talking about some, he don't know if we're gonna get the checks, talking about some. Now it's $1,400, and then the $1,400 is only gonna go to a certain, certain, uh, to certain people. But, um, yeah, I thought that was a funny ass clip. I had to play it. Y'all know how I do. Y'all know I'm a troublemaker. I'm a, I'm a rebel at heart. You know, like I said, my, um, <laughs> My name on, on Twitter is the habitual line stepper. You know what I'm saying? I love I love rebelling. Um I love rebelling because shit we gotta get this right, you know? <laughs> With a motherfucking checks. But um yeah, so we had the uh inauguration, Biden's inauguration, and um I mean shit I ain't going to lie it was just it was comedy to me to see the um inauguration going on and then I was on Twitter looking at people's comments and stuff like that and um I saw a tweet on on uh Twitter that really resonated with how I felt when I was uh watching the inauguration and looking at um, people on social media and stuff, and this tweet was uh, from Margaret Kimberly. She's an author, and the book that she's an author of is called *Presudential*. Uh, um, uh, excuse me, *Presudential*. Black America, excuse me, and the presidents. And her name is Margaret Kimberly. *Presudential*. P-R-E-J-U-D-E-N-T-I-A-L, Presidential Black America and the Presidents. And the tweet that she had, it just it summed up a lot of how I was feeling. She said, every four years I suffer. I watch many people who I respect shed tears over a Democrat winning or the first Black president or Trump is gone and Harris Is a woman, etc. But I don't care because I want a different society altogether. And I really felt that because I mean that's how I was feeling. I was seeing people that you know I respected, and it was not a thing of me losing respect for them because I see them cheering over Biden being in office or anything like that. Because like I said, I don't care what opinion you have. I'm fine with hearing your opinion because your opinion may open my eyes up to something. I don't have a problem with anybody disagreeing with me as long as you don't mind the same, you know what I'm saying? I feel like that's the whole point of being in uh any engaging in any type of conversation, any type of relationship, anything. We are all that di- we're all supposed to be different people, so we are all supposed to have different views, perceptions, realities, all of that. So I never look at it like that. I'm going to just cast somebody out or turn 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 my ears off or my eyes off just because you have a different opinion than me. I mean that's that's how you learn things by you know dealing with people who don't see things the way that you see. But yeah, it did. It it definitely saddened me. It definitely frustrated me when I was seeing people just falling in love over Biden and Kamala, and you know. If you go back, if you haven't listened to my previous episodes, if you go back, you'll know why. I'm not going to go into it I'm already in 55 minutes into the podcast. So but yeah, it did frustrate me because it was like, it was almost like I felt as though some people weren't being genuine. A lot of people voted because they claimed they wanted to get out white supremacy, but it's white supremacy on both sides. It's just portrayed differently. The narrative is different. You know. Um it's like even before uh Joe Biden and Kamala, like the way with the the reason that Trump got into office is because people didn't like Hillary. You know, they only voted based off of their emotions, not based off of um um, their agendas or the things that will help them, you know, it was all about emotions and that trickled down to to this election with Joe Biden and Kamala getting in. People just wanted Trump out of office so they voted for Joe Biden and Kamala instead of really paying attention to everything that's going on. Because it's lies on both sides, it's stories on both sides, you know. And that's that's one thing that they politicians know that they can get from so-called black people is, you know, they can get into their emotions and and get them from that that aspect. And that's pretty much what we seeing. You know, I mean, when you, when it comes down to it, um, Biden has been signing so many damn executive orders since he's been elected. And none of those executive orders have been specifically for black people. He signed executive orders specifically for the LGBT community, for the Asian community, and for immigrants. Immigrants, particularly Hispanic and Latino immigrants. And he hasn't done anything specifically for us, even though he promised it. Even though he got into office because of us. Even though the Senate got the the majority because of us. It's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. But, you know, the biggest thing about the inauguration was Bernie Sanders. And um, (laughs) the thing that I was thinking about the most during the inauguration and when all the Bernie Sanders memes and stuff was coming up like that was that... The way Bernie was looking, he was like, man, I ain't got time for this bullshit. I'm just here because I'm supposed to be here. Other than that, you know, Bernie, he wouldn't he ain't have time for that. And this ain't for me to say that I'm a big Bernie supporter, but I would have I would have loved to have him before I have Joe Biden. But Bernie, he be skating on shit too, when it comes to the black community. Um Especially when people confront him on reparations and stuff, particularly for the black community. You know, he, he kind of skate around that. But I would rather have Bernie than I would have Biden and Kamala ass. But um, yeah, I was just thinking, I was just like, you know, Bernie, all the memes and stuff, how he was sitting. And that nigga Bernie was like, man, I ain't trying to be a, all this shit is bullshit. I <laughs> I had to take a, a step away. I. Had, uh, <clears throat> I had to drink some water, and that joint went down the wrong pipe. <laughs> but um, yeah, Bernie was like, "Man, I ain't trying to be here for this bullshit, <clears throat> this political theater." But um, in the midst of just like watching that, um, watching the inauguration and stuff. Just that day period, um like after the inauguration after I watched some of it, <clears throat> later on that day, I had watched american skin and man, I tell you I shouldn't have watched that I shouldn't have watched that movie the same day as the uh inauguration after already being kind of frustrated and put off by the uh inauguration and <clears throat> just feeling kind of like disappointed and um, The way certain black people was acting and stuff on social media and stuff like that And that movie, American Skin, man, that movie was deep as hell Like, it was deep, it was sad, it was frustrating, it pissed me off
1: <clears throat>
0: Excuse me Any type of emotion that you can have as a black person, as a black man That movie will give it to you <clears throat> It was just crazy It was crazy. And um, Yeah. Like I was saying, like with the Biden executive orders, he hasn't <clears throat> he hasn't done anything specific he hasn't put in place anything specifically for black people, so called black people. Put in stuff for Asian Americans, he put stuff in for LGBTQ. Um, and and Black people was the reason for him getting into office. Black people was the reason for um the Congress to have the majority and um <clears> this <throat> is like the same shit that we we've been going through for years, and black people still don't see it and understand what's going on. We just keep keep getting played off of our emotions and um. One thing in particular that <clears throat> biden had did um one thing that he's he's done with his executive orders is uh for immigration <clears throat> and it took me back because um a couple of episodes ago I talked about how that meeting that that zoom meeting that he had with so-called black leaders and how he was, uh, he basically was talking down to them and stuff like that and was saying how, you know, in a few years, this is not verbatim. He's basically saying in a few years, y'all are not even gonna matter because this this country, America, the United States of America is gonna be all <clears throat> Hispanics and Latinos. So he's basically he was basically saying, um, y'all don't need to be demanding nothing, you know because in a few years y'all not even gonna matter and one of his executive orders was the immigration signing to um that you know immigrants from Mexico and stuff can come over here with no problem, basically reversing what Trump had put into place with his uh, border wall stuff and and all that. And it took me back and had me thinking about how this was done um, decades, a century ago with the uh, Homestead Acts. And and how back then when Those homestead acts was put into place with basically giving immigrants from other countries, particularly European countries, um, giving them incentives and stuff to come move over here, giving them land, giving them grants, money and stuff like that to come over here. And this was after the Civil War. And during the Civil War and after the Civil War, giving them incentives and stuff to come over here, giving them land grants and stuff like that, uh incentives to come over here, stuff like that, and basically not giving black people nothing. And this is he's basically he basically said <clears throat> during that Zoom meeting what he was gonna do. And he put it into place with an executive order. He put in a place basically saying, I'm gonna allow these Mexicans and stuff to come over here and give them incentives and all that other stuff so they can come over here and be the majority, be the, the home base for the Democratic Party. You know, fuck black people. This is what this is what we gonna do. And this is what they, this is what politicians have been doing for years. That's why when you see, um, you go to like liquor stores and you have carry out restaurants and stuff like that, it's easy for Asian Americans, it's easy for Hispanics, uh, people in the Arab community to come over here and get grants and get loans and stuff to, to start businesses. And these businesses are smack dab right in front. Our face in our community, and so just look up. I'm not gonna get into all of it. Just just look up the Homestead Act of of 1862, 1866, and particularly look up the Civil Rights Act of 1866. That had that that kind of went. It was supposed to go hand in hand with the Homestead Act of 1886. That Civil Rights Act was supposed to be put in place to give, you know, so called black people those civil liberties to be able to buy land and, you know, to get wealth and stuff like that. But black people couldn't afford it because we ain't had no money. We just came off of being, being enslaved prisoners of war, you know. And I'm gonna play a clip right right quick that goes into that pulls in deeper of you know what I'm talking about and this this particular clip was uh from martin Luther King and this is what you know a lot of people say got him got him uh assassinated when he started uh when he started talking. When he started having this, this, this rhetoric, this narrative, for, <clears throat> for black people and stuff. So let me play this clip.
3: At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, Today, many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to fall, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. Now, this is what we are faced with, and this is the reality. Now, when we come to Washington in this campaign, we are coming to get our checks.
0: That was powerful right there. Because he just basically laid out everything that the government has been doing forever. And basically what Biden is putting in place right now with the executive order that he signed that deals with immigration with a so-called a so-called so-called black vice president in Kamala Harris. and this is their narrative this is the democrat's narrative and this is this is where it comes down to they are playing chess and we not even playing check we're not even playing checkers at this point we're not even playing the game we're not even in the game they're playing chess and we haven't even pulled out the checkerboard yet The same thing that they did back then with the homestead acts and stuff, with pulling their uh, people from the European countries over here, giving them land grants, teaching them how to work the land and stuff like that, and then to a point where former enslaved prisoner of war black people was working that land because they ain't have nowhere to go. They couldn't afford to to buy no land or anything. They, they quote unquote had the right to buy land, but they didn't have no type of money to buy it. But they was giving people, immigrants, money to come over here and do that. And I'm going to play another clip. And this clip right here is um, a video that uh, the White House... Recently put out, and this 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 shows you right here what it's it's like right in front of our damn face, and this is this is the problem that I have with with the black community, and is that we are our focus is not even really into politics. We so caught up. The people who are actually in the politics, we so caught up into the illusion of inclusion that. They won't even fight for the people who is not even paying attention to everything, who caught up into the the other, the non the, the stuff that don't even matter. Here's the clip, and this is this is a clip that the White House just recently put out.
4: We are a nation of immigrants, of indigenous peoples, coming together from all walks of life and all corners of the earth to make a more perfect
0: union.
1: I was born and raised in the pueblo of Pueblan, one of twenty-three federally recognized tribes in New Mexico.
4: My family immigrated from Zimbabwe in nineteen ninety-seven when we were small children to pursue education here in the United States. I am a daughter of immigrants. We immigrated from Brazil to the U.S. in two thousand and one.
2: You mm-hmm. <laughs> need to how. Eh?
4: Eh? And that process, from what I remember as a six-year-old, was fairly simple. What I remember not being so simple has been the journey to naturalization and citizenship.
2: This process is one that requires significant resources and has several steps to complete. So I'm truly grateful for an administration that sees
1: to support people just like me and families like my own. President Biden understands the importance of honoring the federal government's solemn trust and treaty responsibilities to tribal nations.
4: The words written on our Statue of Liberty can mean something now. To be an American, to me, means to see the beauty in all of our differences, to see the beauty in our varying stories. A tapestry made up of many different languages, foods, traditions, music, dancing. It enriches all of us. It enriches me.
0: And there you go right there. That was the video that the White House uh, just put out. And they pushing this narrative of immigrants, <clears throat> and another just based off since this since this video has camp has came out, um, you've seen certain quote unquote uh, groups or organizations that are supposed to be fighting for the so called blacks putting out that. Immigration is important to blacks as well um and that's a lie it's not that's a separate that's separate from us. Foundational black Americans are not immigrants. You have this thing where they're talking about indigenous people, and I've talked about this plenty of times before on the podcast about the five dollar Indians. And stuff like that. You can look it up. And how the foundational black Americans were already here before slavery. Before they were enslaved. Before they were prisoners of war. This is documented. They have books on this. It's it's records of this. We are so stuck in this narrative that we came from Africa, all of us didn't come from Africa. That that don't mean that we didn't originate from Africa, but we didn't all come from Africa during the quote-unquote transatlantic slave trade. They have their code words, people of color and stuff like that, in order to appease the so-called blacks. But at the same time, not give us anything. Anytime we try to demand anything for us, it's always a thing of people of color or, no, we, we're not going to give, we're not just going to focus on black people. I mean, excuse me, It was a, I played an interview of Kamala actually saying, no, I'm not just going to do anything for black people. She literally said that. I mean that's that's a lo- what a lot of these politicians say, particularly the Democrats. But um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Like, it gets frustrating when I when I talk about this stuff. That's why I, when I was talking about my podcast earlier about getting frustrated with certain things and the blackety black stuff and all that, because people ain't gonna listen. People just gonna look at me like I'm just talking out my ass <laughs> but the stuff be right in front of our face literally right in front of our face they know how to play on our emotions and stuff this is it's crazy um, another th- <laughs> I'm trying not to get frustrated while I talk about it and that's another thing I'm I've, I've I need to learn how to keep a healthy balance between, you know, um, getting caught up into the politics and, and, and all of this, the racism and the blackity-black and all that other stuff. Um, but today, uh, for the second time, I watched the, uh, the Reagan documentary that was on Showtime. It came out uh, back in 2020, late 2020. It's a great documentary, and man, I tell you, people thought Trump, all the people who would be getting caught up into Trump, that was getting caught up into Trump, Trump wasn't shit when they compared to Reagan, man. This nigga Reagan was savage. Reagan was savage. A quote that he said um, was, he said, if you're not a good actor, you can't be a president. And if anybody who don't know, before Ronald Reagan was in politics, he was a actor. He was a Hollywood actor, and man, that documentary, like he made Trump look like nothing. Like if social media was around when when Reagan was in office, y'all think y'all was complaining about Trump? And like just watching that documentary, Trump basically. basically was uh, mimicked what Reagan did, the Make America Great against slogan and all that. How he pandered toward the, the uh, racist white people and their base using code words like law and order, um, states' rights and stuff like that. This is all stuff that came from Reagan. Reagan was doing that shit back in the 80s and we know how Well, I ain't going to say we know because it's obviously people don't know. Reagan was ruthless when it came to the war on drugs and all that other stuff. Reagan, he was he was a straight up actor that was in, was playing the president. He was playing president. Particularly it was it was basically we history basically repeated itself when it came to Trump. The only difference when it came to Trump and Reagan was Trump didn't put no policies in place the way Reagan was that that particularly was the downfall of the black community, as well as poor and disenfranchised people all in this country. Trump was just, Trump just did a lot of talking. Reagan, he did shit. His, his, he did shit in his eight years in office. And it was just, it was amazing to see how uh, detached from reality uh, Ronald Reagan was. Like, his whole political career... He was basically trying to, he was basically doing it as an as an actor. He was basically playing a role of a politician first. He was an actor first, politician second. He was playing the role of a politician. All the things that he was doing was what the uh big business. Sorry, that was an alarm. Big business and um what big business the millionaires and stuff was telling him to do corporations and stuff. Like the documentary, like that documentary was was very telling of how the reason the way the country is today is because of Reagan. When it comes to the, where black people are, where poor people are, when it comes to um, because of Reagan, that's why there's a 99 cent, um, 99 cent, 99% and a 1% because of Reagan, because of his policies and, and the things that he put in, he put in place. He was for big business corporations. He was funded by them. Like that was one of the best documentaries I ever seen that Reagan Joe. And I, I mean, I encourage everybody to look at it even if you're not into politics like it's crazy i can go on and on about that documentary how it shaped how the country is today and why things are the way they are for for black people and and poor people and that that basically goes hand in hand with the shit that that recently went on with um the stock market and stuff all the stuff that happened with the uh the the Reddit group and um, the GameStop stocks, as well as the AMC stocks, and how the Reddit group messed up the, the, the Reddit community, messed up the, the hedge fund people, messed up their, their um, <laughs> short squeeze, the shit that they've been doing for years. And basically, um, what you can look up is Cantillion, Cant- Cantillion Effect. And it's spelled C A N T I L L O N. Cantillion Effect. And this is shit that they've been doing since forever. Once I looked up what, what, it, what, what the Cantillion Effect was, like, that's every damn day for what's been going on in America. You know, basically, what they do is they get they they do it in all aspects, real estate, all of that, stock market, all of that. They basically drive shit down low, buy it, and build it up. That's basically what that is. That's basically what they was doing. The hedge funds was doing. That's what the short squeeze is. They was hoping that the GameStop, um, they was waiting for the GameStop stock to crash, buy it up and make a profit off of it. So they borrowed, the hedge funds was borrowing the stock, a, a share of the stock from, from the people who, who, had the, who had those shares. So when it drive down, they sell it back to them and they make a profit off of it. So if they if they borrow ten dollars worth the share, if the share is ten dollars, they borrowed that ten dollars. Then they let the stock crash down to seven dollars. Then they then they give the stock back to the person that they shared it from and make a profit off of it, three dollar profit off. That's basically what they what they was doing. But when the reddit community you know i guess got wind of it or kind of knew what they was doing they jumped on it first and then the hedge fund people stuck with the stock and they they can't then they owe money to the people that they borrowed it from you know so all this stuff was this this is what a, this is what damn america is shit it's capitalism Y'all know I had that episode too. Capitalism. God damn it. This shit is frustrating to talk about. I'm just being honest. I don't understand how... I know everybody got their own things, their own priorities and all that other stuff, but I don't understand, particularly my black people. Why don't y'all see this shit? (laughs) We need to start banding together. But it's, it's, it's like black people is so entrenched and so invested in on one upping each other it's like we we care more about looking good instead of winning first it make me think about um white man can't jump when uh Woody Harrelson was saying to Wesley Snipes he was like he said you rather look good first before you win you rather look good and lose than win and just look mediocre. That's just what black people was about. I mean, it's like, oh man, but um, yeah, I digressed. <laughs> Let me jump into this real quick and I'm uh in the episode. It was a uh, talk about the vaccine a little bit. Um, you know, it's a few COVID vaccines out there. Um, and. Recently, Tyler Perry <laughs> he did a little BET special where he was talking about the uh, the vaccine and getting the vaccine and stuff. And you know, Tyler Perry he's real big when it comes to the church community and that black church community. And that's how he, that's how he made his fortune off the the, uh, the black church community with his plays and stuff. And just to see how he was trying to play black people. With his special that he did on BT and I'ma play I'ma play a clip from it for you. He had a um he had a black doc a black doctor on um this special and just listen to how she talked. And this is this is very telling if you if you aware and you can get past your emotions. Let me get the clip together. Um... A little gangster spike protein. All right, one start of started over, started from the beginning. This this shit is insulting. This is an in, insulting to an intelligent black person. But let me play the clip. One of which is
4: called a spike protein, and I call the spike protein the gangster spike protein because that little gangster spike protein—that's the one that gets in your cell and makes you sick. And so this is what the technology did. This is so dope. So what they did was they said, what if we made a vaccine that was just an mRNA coding only for that little gangster spike protein? And what if we could introduce that into your body, right? And then have your body develop an immune response that then remembers and recognizes it when it actually gets the virus, right? And so the way that it works is I I kind of like to think of it as your friends and your homies in your neighborhood, right? So you get this mRNA vaccine, right? It's wrapped up in this little lipid layer that gets it into your cell. Once it gets into your cell, this vaccine, you know, it's the contractor. So it tells the cell, we're gonna make these spikes. You start making the spikes, right? But then your body goes, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This is not supposed to be here. Let me call security. Let me call in, you know, all my people. And that is your immune response. So you have these cells called macrophages. They come in to swoop up the cell, but not before your body sends a message to some of these immune cells like your T cells and your B cells to create that memory so that when you see this virus come after you later, then you know what to do. So I kind of think of it like, you know, when something happens later, you already got the vaccine and you have these antibodies waiting for something to pop off and you got the T cells looking around to see what's happening, then you get hit with COVID, right? But the T cells, remember now, they have some memory, right? So they gonna sit back in the cut and be like, oh uh uh-uh. uh, that is not who I think it is. And then the antibody's been waiting for something to pop off, and they're like, oh uh uh-uh. uh, no. And they just rush. <laughs> and that's really what has belongs to me. I tell you what you can and can't do with it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I didn't say I
3: was leaving. Shut up. Now you hold.
0: Yeah, um, I don't know where that part came from on the clip. <laughs> um, but I might edit that out but um uh yeah that's that little extra part from the clip I don't know where the hell that came from like it was edited into the clip I don't (laughs) that (laughs) um (laughs) I'm speechless right now from that little edited part that they put in there um Okay, so let me just read the um <laughs> uh let me read what it says on the clip. It says, um they was like, this sounds like a black exploitation movie from the 70s. So I guess that's why they put that little part in there, cause that little clip that was edited in today, <laughs> it was a um apart from a black exploitation movie. I might edit it out, I might not. I don't, you know, it is what it is. But um yeah. How's that not insulting? I mean, it's kind of like That's kind of insulting. Like what And this is Tyler Perry. But I don't expect too much from, you know, Tyler Perry. I mean, he made his fortune off of uh, exploiting um, stereotypes to a degree of black people. And, that's, and I ain't gonna sit here and act like I, I ain't never watched a Madea movie before but because I, I have. But I'm gonna focus on the virus and the vaccine and how they had that doctor sitting up there trying to explain stuff the way that she was explaining it. And yeah, I'm just not feeling it. <laughs> I mean, that was insulting that she was sitting there Trying to sound all... I don't know what she was trying to sound like. But these these are the type of narratives that they that they putting into place. So it's kind of like... It's having me question like... Who was telling Tyler Perry to do this? To get black people to get this vaccine. And we already know the history of black people when it comes to... Um, experimentation on them when it comes to like the Tuskegee experiment, and you have situations where in the South, how black women were getting uh, doctors were giving black women hysterectomies uh, so they couldn't have children. Um, the I believe the the phrase for it was uh, Mississippi. Um, dang, what the hell was it, Mississippi? Um, damn, what the hell was it? I just had that jump right on my tongue. What the hell was it? Um, damn, damn, I just had that jump right on my tongue. Um, I can't even think about it now. That's crazy. But basically, in the south, they was uh, when women was going in for sur- certain surgeries and stuff like that. They was giving them hysterectomies and stuff, so they couldn't have children. And um, oh, it's called Mississippi appendectomy. Um, yeah, it was like uh, hospitals were uh, performing unnecessary hysterectomies on poor black women. Um, That's crazy, man. And it was it was in the south. Women of color, and it was a it was a practice for medical students and stuff. And one person in particular that had that happen to her was uh, um, what was her name? Fannie Lou, Fanny Lou Hamer. Yeah, she she talked about that happening to her. She went in for a a, a totally different surgery and. They gave her a hysterectomy so she couldn't have kids or whatever. It was crazy. And then um it was another another situation that happened to certain black people. I'm trying to find it. I had it. Here you go. Um his name was uh Virtus Wellborn Hardiman. And he was a he was a victim of a US government human radiation experiment at the age of five. And the uh it says it left him with a painful skull deformity that forced him to cover his head for 80 years. So look, look this person up. First, look up Mississippi appendectomy. I will assume that everybody knows about the Tuskegee experiment. And also looked up look up Vertus Hardiman, And the spell V-E-R-T-U-S. Vertus Hardiman. H-A-R-D-I-M-A-N And he literally had a hole in his head He literally had a hole in his head And he had to uh, wear uh, toupees over his head For his whole life Because of experiment that the U.S. government did on him And Yeah, so I mean, what can you do? And I'm going to end it off with this story right here. Uh, if you haven't heard, it was an NFL player. His name is Chad Wheeler. C-H-A-D. Chad Wheeler. W-H-E-E-L-E-R. And he severely beat his girlfriend. She was a black woman. Um, he beat her because she wouldn't bow down to him. That was according to the reports, and he beat her so bad that he thought that he killed her. And after he beat her up so badly and and choked her and stuff, he went and ate some cereal. And when she finally came to and got up, he said to her that he was he was surprised that you know she was still alive and stuff. And when the police came to uh, arrest him, he was he's a He's six seven, three hundred and some pounds. He played. He plays offensive lineman in the NFL. He he was on the Seattle Seahawks. He re, he got released before this happened. Um, it took the police forever to get him down and to handcuff him. They didn't shoot him or anything. He's a white dude. So yeah, I'll leave it there. And you know, I always end the podcast off with a um, a song, but. First and foremost, let me apologize for the cough and spell that I had when I choked on the water. I'm not gonna edit it. I'm just not, I'm just gonna let it be. And apologies for that, um, that edited portion of the, the Tyler Purry clip. Apologies for that. Um, but recently, uh, it was uh, Sam Cooke's birthday. I forgot what day it was, but I'll I really got into that. I'm a I'm a big fan of Sam Cooke as well. So I was getting into watching documentaries of him and stuff. So I'm gonna leave it off with a, a song from Sam Cooke. I was gonna do a change gonna come, but that that, that song too damn sad. <laughs> and this podcast, I feel like is this episode right here, starting off season three, is just is um, <laughs> just is just too depressing. <laughs> So I'll pick a different song than the change going to come. All right. Let me see. Uh, I'll use this song to end the podcast off. Uh, Once again, I'm on uh, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, um, Stitcher. I will be on iHeartRadio soon. Um, A Taste to Consider podcast on Instagram greatest uh, greatest i am blog on Instagram. Uh, my blog website is Greatest.i.am.blog.com uh, Please like, share, download the podcast. Um, yeah, support me. Um, if you want to send donations to the podcast, Cash App is uh, dollar sign R I P eighty one. Sam Cook. Darling, you send me.
2: I know you send me. Darling, you send me. Honest, you do. Honest, you do. Honest, you do.
0: gonna blame those uh technical At difficulties with the, uh <laughs> with the coffin spell and that soon. edited clip on mercury retrograde <laughs> it's lasted so
2: long now i find myself wanting to marry you and take you home whoa, whoa. you 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 send me i know
0: Taste to consider podcast. Sam Cook. You send me. Taste to Consider Podcast. Taste to Consider Podcast.
2: At first I thought it was infatuation But ooh, it's lasted so long Now I find myself wanting To marry you and take you home I know, I know, I know Send me, I know you. Send me,
0: oh, you, you, you. Send me, I just, you do you. Take a to the consider podcast. I'm your host, Dirk Silver. I'll holler at you next time.